I invite you to join me in Daniel 11 if you are not there already. Daniel. Chapter 11 through 12, 4. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, even as we have just confessed in song this evening, we recognize that you are our strength. That our hope is not to stand in our own strength, our own um, boldness, but to stand in you. Be strong in the Lord, for he is your guide. So Heavenly Father, we pray that you would strengthen us for the days and the weeks ahead. For whatever lies before us, even in this passage as we look far into the future, and yet we have a hope and a sovereign God who will make his people strong. You are our faithful God, and we rejoice in that. And so we pray that even in this hour that you would encourage us through these words, that through your word you would strengthen us, that you would challenge us to trust you both in the present and for the future. pray that you'd be honored in all that we say and do in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to Daniel 11, 1 through 12, 4, we're really continuing what we saw last week, or two weeks ago, in Daniel 10. You may remember kind of the setting, as this angel comes to Daniel 10 and they have this conversation, these prophecies concerning what is happening. We saw that that. The hope at the beginning here, as we jump into this prophecy, is that God knows what he's doing. That it is his will that will be accomplished. And that's really what this angel kind of tells Daniel here at the beginning in chapter 10. So you come to chapter 11, you're jumping into this prophecy. From Daniel's perspective, as we come to Daniel 11, everything here in this chapter is future. From our perspective, as we work our way through this, we'll see that verses 1 to 35 are past from here, and 36 forward are all future still. And so we will be working our way through this. As we work our way through this, we'll see ancient history, future history, and the end of history. The first thing we see is ancient history. It's ancient from our perspective. Again, from Daniel's perspective, this was future still. In fact, as, I, as, I, as we work our way through this, I would encourage you to try to put yourself in Daniel's place where you're hearing this all for the first time. Throughout the book of Daniel, as he hears these different prophecies, at the end of the prophecy, we always find Daniel overcome. He is shaken. He is weak. I think it can be easy for us to think, well, why, Daniel? I mean, in the end, God wins. But some of the things that are in here are not easy things to hear. There are hard days ahead. There are some difficult times that are coming. And yet I will be faithful through them all, God says. I will accomplish my purposes. Ancient history. 
the first year of Darius the Mede. This is 539 B.C. This is significant because this is also the year when the decree for the Jews to return home, the first decree, is given for them to return home. I, even I, this is the angel from chapter 10, I, the angel, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So this is picking up on something that we saw in chapter 10. As the angel said, I was, I was coming, Daniel. I, I was sent from the time that you first started to cry out to the Lord, but I was delayed. I was delayed by the prince of Persia. This evil spirit that was waging war against this angel. And really what you have in, in chapter 10 and 11, when it's talking about these angels that are being delayed or that is confirming and strengthening as we see here, is really we're seeing behind the curtain of time. We're seeing into the spiritual realm what is going on. So here in 539 BC, in the first year of Darius the Mede, when the decree for the Jews to return is given, this angel is behind the scenes fighting contending, defending Israel. We're seeing behind the scenes into the spiritual realm. And so now I will tell you the truth. From this point forward, everything is future. This is what will happen. And as we work our way through here, I'm, I'm going to point out some things. But I'm not going to take the time to, to break down this entire chapter and all the little things and how they tie in with history. I would encourage you on your own time to go back and to do that because this is a fascinating chapter. In fact, this chapter, the, 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 the accuracy of everything in here is so precise that many... Liberal scholars, people who don't believe the Bible, say that this chapter is, well, it has to be written by the future. Even though there's, there's no evidence of it, it, just, it has to be because there's no way it can be that accurate. But it is because it is the word of God. And it is, it is amazingly precise. And I'll, I'll show you bits and pieces of that as we work our way through here. Um, and maybe... If that's something that you are really interested in, maybe we can do a series through here at some point where we look at all the little history things. I would enjoy that. I don't know if you would enjoy that or not. Maybe we could do that at some point. But, but today, this evening, my goal is to basically give a big picture look at this. What is the big picture here? And so, like I said, I'll give some little details. Like right here at the beginning, behold, three more kings will arise in Persia following Darius the Mede. In history, we know that these are Cambyses, uh, Pseudo-Smertus, and, and Darius I, Hystopthes. Hy 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 um, and then a fourth shall be richer than them all. This fourth, we know, is Xerxes I, the king during the book of Esther. A powerful king. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. That's exactly what Xerxes does as we look back in history. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. This mighty king is Alexander the Great. He's a king who has already um, played a, a big role looking forward in the past chapters as these visions have come to Daniel. Alexander the Great shall rule with great dominion, do according to his will. When he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided. 
Again, this is according to history. We see this as well. Alexander the Great rises up. He dies at a young age, at 33 years old, after having essentially conquered the world, after having risen up. And his kingdom is divided. And yet, his kingdom is not divided to his children. It's not divided to his posterity. It's divided between four of his generals. Exactly as we see here. As you come to verse 5, Really, verse 5 to 20 covers about 200 years of wars between two of these generals, specifically the uh, Ptolemies and the Seleucids, Egypt and Babylon, the king of the south and the king of the north. Kind of what we see here, specifically in verses 5 uh, through, through 20, or really 5 through the end of uh, Daniel 11, it's, I mean, we are quickly moving through time here. We are mentioning things and jumping years and years. And then when you get to verse, uh, later on in the chapter, we'll jump thousands of years. But, you know, you, you are moving. We will be moving through history here. Um, have you ever seen one of those movies where there's a, a scene where it shows the passing of time? Right? You, got the, you got the kid when they're little and they're playing in their yard. It's setting the scene. And then in about 10 seconds, you see the leaves change and the lights go black. And, you, know, you see the sun kind of going around and, and the kid slowly grows. And then you know, 10 seconds later, you're jumping 20 years into the future. That's essentially what's going on here. Right? We're, we're, we're doing bits and pieces and, and the sun's going around really fast and we're moving and we're going to be jumping way ahead. All right? So the king of the south shall become strong. This is the Ptolemies in Egypt as well as one of his princes. And he shall gain power over him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. At the end of some years, they shall join forces. Again, this is one of those points in history that's extremely precise. So you have the Ptolemies in the south. Ptolemy, who was one of uh, Alexander's strongest, greatest generals. Then you have uh, Seleucus, who was also a great general. Ptolemy ends up in Egypt. Uh, Seleucus gets Babylon. Another general, though, rises up, and he takes Babylon. So Seleucus flees down to Egypt, where he serves under Ptolemy as a prince, until he's able to retake Babylon. That's exactly what we see here. Also, the king of the south shall become strong, as well as one of his princes. But then this prince gains power. What happened in history, as we look back, is that Ptolemy, uh, Seleucus fled to Egypt. He served under Ptolemy as a prince. Then he was able to retake Babylon. At that point, he grew into power, becoming even stronger than Ptolemy. At that point then, you have about 200 wars, 200 years of war between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. Back and forth and back and forth. And as you work your way through here, it is fascinating to go verse by verse with a, with a study Bible or something else that kind of ties you in. That this is what happened here. This is what happened here. This is what happened here. I encourage you if the time to do that. It's fascinating to sit there and to read that. Uh, if you enjoy history especially. And as you do that, you'll be, you will be blown away with the accuracy of what we see here. And so you have this war between the king of the north and the king of the south. Now I want to jump ahead to verse 20. 
You have this war that is going back and forth between this king of the south and this king of the north. And throughout this whole time, you have little Israel in the middle. Part of this whole thing as these armies are marching back and forth. As you come to verse 20, there shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom. In history, we know this as uh, Seleucus Philopater. Both in a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. Seleucus Philopater was killed because he was poisoned. And in his place shall arise a vile person to whom they will not give the honor of royalty. This is where we are introduced to Antiochus Epiphanes. That is why I want to jump to this point. Again, he plays a major role in, in, in Daniel, looking forward. And it goes on to describe Antiochus Epiphanes and his, his wicked rule. And how ruthless he was. Verse 28, while returning to his land, this is Antiochus Epiphanes, while returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant, so he shall do damage and return to his own land. In history, we know this is on the way home after plundering Egypt, after an ongoing war with the, the south. In Egypt, Antiochus goes through Israel. He is met by revolt. He's enraged, and he goes on. He plunders the temple. He massacres 80,000 Jewish men. He takes 40,000 prisoners, and he sells 40,000 Jews into slavery. This does not, though, cause the Jews to just submit. It causes an even greater uprising, even greater rebellion. Again, in the following verses, 31 through 35, Antiochus Epiphanes returns to desecrate the temple. We know this in history. He stops all sacrifices. In the place of the daily sacrifices, he sacrifices a pig, an unclean animal, on the altar, desecrating it. And yet, there will be a faithful remnant in here. Verse 34. Now when they fall, they shall be aided, but with a little help, for they shall join with them by intrigue, and some of those of understanding shall fall, or refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. It is still for the appointed time. This phrase, at this point, in verse 35, we have flown through history. We've seen this uh, in the Persians and the Greeks, from Alexander the Great to Antiochus Epiphanes. And at this point, we're going to jump ahead thousands of years. And it's an appropriate jump from Antiochus all the way to the future Antichrist. Because really what we see here is Antiochus, in a sense, is a type of this future Antichrist. There are things that he does that, that points forward as a type of what will be done. As great as his wickedness was, there is coming one who is worse. There is coming one who will do more. And so, as you move your way through here, you see ancient history. 
Again, we have just flown through this, touching on bits and pieces of it. I'd encourage you to go back and to study that, that you're on, on your own. But as we come to the end of this, as we move into verse 36 and forward, even into chapter 12 this evening. Verses 1 through 35 to Daniel were future. To us, they're past. We look back on it. And as you look back and you see the meticulous accuracy of these prophecies, that gives us hope as we move forward into verses 36 and following. God does know what he's doing. This is his will. This is what will happen. So as we move forward to future history, I've called it future history because it's kind of an oxymoron. It's future, but it's history because it will happen. It is guaranteed. It might as well be written as history here. At this point, we jump ahead thousands of years. In verse 36, the king shall do according to his own will. Here we are uh, at the end of verse 35, until the time of the end, because it is still for an appointed time. Here we are jumping into that time of the end. What we find here are, are details of Daniel's 70th week, as we saw a few weeks ago. The king shall do according to his own will. This king is the one whom Antiochus Epiphanes prefigures. This is the Antichrist, the ultimate, the last Antichrist. And he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods and shall prosper till the, till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. That verse there, verse 36, would be shocking to us. It should be shocking to us, except that exact same thing we've already seen in Daniel. Looking forward, this one is coming, and he will flourish. But he will be destroyed. There is one who is greater who is coming. He shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Again, this is the same language that we see used with the little horn of chapter 7 and 8. He shall exalt himself. He is bold, he is blasphemous, he is proud. In their place he shall honor a God of fortresses. He does not care about gods or worship gods. He worships, he worships power. As you come to verse 40 then, verse 40 then to 45, is this great battle. The king of the south, the king of the north shall come against him. As you come to verse 44, the news of the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore, this antichrist, this king, therefore he shall go out with a great fury to destroy and annihilate them. He sets up his tents, his headquarters for this battle in the valley of Megiddo. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. This last verse, verse 45, describes the battle of Armageddon. 
where despite his power, the Antichrist stands no chance against God. Looking forward, you can see that in Revelation 19, 17 to 21. It's where that's recorded for us in the New Testament. So as you look at these verses, verses 36 to 45, you see future history. This will happen. Just as verses 1 through 35 did happen. But then you come to chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, the end of history. At that time, that time here refers to verses 36 to 45, this 70th week of Daniel, the time of the tribulation as we would know it as today. At that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. That references back to the beginning of chapter 11 and even to chapter, to chapter 10. These angels who are battling on a global scale over nations and protecting nations. Michael, this angel that fights for Israel and defends Israel and watches out for Israel. Despite all of this that is going on, despite these great wicked men who rise up, despite these great armies that seem to just triumph and do whatever they want, even in this time when all of this is going on and all hope seems lost, even then, the great prince still stands watch over your people. Behind the scenes, even in the midst of everything, of such great persecution, God will not abandon his people. His angel will still be fighting for them. He will still see, he still cares. In fact, at the end of verse 1, we see this. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. How sweet those words must have been to Daniel. I mean, as you're working through uh, chapter 11, maybe even this evening as I was reading it, you're thinking, man, what, what in the world is going on here? This, this is crazy. But your people shall be delivered. Because I am your God. And as great as that Antichrist will be, as great as Antiochus Epiphanes will be, as strong as these armies will be, I am greater. I will triumph. I will deliver you. Because I am greater and I am faithful. Your people shall be delivered. Every one who is found written in the book. Every one. Not one will slip through the cracks. Everyone who is found written in the, the book, this heavenly book of life, lists the names of God's elect, those who have believed. Every one of God's will be accounted for. Not one will be lost. Because God is faithful. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. There's coming a day when we will all 
stand before God. It's interesting, in the middle of verse 4, you kind of have a, a thousand years. Some are raised to everlasting life, and you have a thousand-year reign of Christ, and then some are shame and everlasting contempt. Did you see that recorded in Revelation 20, verses 4 to 6? But here, he's just, he's just looking forward. This is going to happen. You will stand before God. You will be raised. Some to everlasting life, and some to everlasting contempt. Those who are wise... Wise here is true knowledge, it is faith, it is seeing God for who he is and believing. These are those whose names are found written in the book. Those who are wise shall, shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This will happen. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Shut up the words. I think there's a couple of reasons why Daniel was told to do this. Number one, all of this is future, and therefore it's not fully comprehensible. Just know that I will accomplish my will. And make sure you write it down. And make sure you save it. But secondly, I also think that, that really the idea behind this is preserve them for that generation, that they may look back and find hope. Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase, and yet hope shall be in this book. And here I will tell you that I will accomplish my purposes. Aren't you glad that Daniel wrote this down and that he saved this? Because as we sit here today, even as we look at the end of this chapter and we think, man, that's all coming. And I don't really understand it. It's kind of hard to follow. It sounds kind of scary. But I know in the end that, that God wins. And, and part of my hope in that is that first part of the chapter where everything that God said did come to pass with startling accuracy. And if God knows that, and if God did that, then I know that God can keep doing what's will. I know that God will accomplish his purposes. And that is my hope. I think it would be, I think it would be fun sometime to go through here and to, to, to maybe do a shorter series where we just work through these prophecies and looking at history. But I don't want to get lost in the details here. I want us to back up and see the big picture, the point. And the point is this, that in the end, God wins. No matter how wicked, no matter how evil, no matter how powerful the forces that rise against us are, God wins. And even as these forces are rising up, God is still at work. He's not, he's not just sitting in heaven waiting for the right time to step in. He's actively at work. Even as we see there at the beginning of chapter 12, as, as Michael is fighting for Israel even during this time. God is at work. He is orchestrating with his meticulously sovereign plan. Every detail. For your good and for his purposes and his glory. That in the end, and in the end, he will win. 
The concern of Daniel 11 and 12 is the hope of God's people. In fact, that, that's what we'll see as we finish chapter 12 uh, in a few weeks when we get there. The question comes up, well, what do we do? If this is all coming to pass, what do we do? Verse 13, but you, go your way till the end, for you shall rest, and you will arise in your inheritance at the end of the days. What do we do? How do we respond to this? What are we supposed to do when all of this comes? When everything is, is seemingly falling apart, how do we react to this? You go your way. You trust the Lord. You be faithful today what he has called you to. The concern of Daniel 11 and 12 is the hope of God's people. God's purposes will be accomplished and no army, regardless of strength, no ruler, regardless of power, will thwart or even threaten God's plan. Our hope in God's people is in clinging to the promises of our faithful God. He knows what he is doing, and he is doing it perfectly. Trust him. As we come to the end of this chapter, this section, two points of application. Number one, trust the Lord in the present. Trust the Lord in the present. Sometimes it's easier, if you're like me, to, to back up and to look on a big scale. And yeah, okay, in the end, I know that, that it all works out. In the end, I get that. I can trust God with my salvation. That, that's a big thing. That's future. But, but what about this, this daily struggle? Why is it that it's so easy to trust God with our eternal security? And yet we struggle so much to trust God with our daily struggles. Trust God in the present. God is just as at work in the details of your daily life as he is on a cosmic history scale in time. Trust him in the present. Trust him this week. As things come up, as you struggle, as you don't understand, as you feel overwhelmed, as your boss maybe piles more and more work on you, be faithful. Trust your God in the present. And at the same time, a big part of trusting God in the present is trusting him in the future. Trust him with the future. Be faithful. Have an eternal perspective. Know that your God will accomplish all that he has promised. And because he is accomplishing that, I can be faithful today. I can do what he's called me to today. I don't, I don't have to be concerned about tomorrow. My God's got that. And because I can trust him with that, I can trust him with this today. Trust him. Trust and obey. I originally had us closing with the song, Be Strong in the Lord. I want to close with the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God.